All right, well, good morning to everyone and welcome to The Well here at STSA. Whether you are here in Leesburg joining us in person or across the way over there in Arlington watching us on the screen or watching from the comfort of your home afterwards, happy that you're here. We are in part two of a series called Unhurried. And I, I, I don't often remind people of this enough is that anytime we do a series, okay, in case you're kind of new to how this whole thing works, what a series is here at STSA is like one really long sermon but they don't let me do it in one week. They give me a time limit every week. So sometimes I'll prepare like a three-hour sermon and they say I can't talk for three hours on a Sunday. I don't know why. I think it'd be a great way to spend a Sunday listening to me for three hours, but they don't let me. So what we do is we chop it up into several weeks and that's what the series is. So if you missed last week, please make sure you go to our YouTube page and get caught up. Think of every series, like I said, as one really long sermon just with commercial breaks, okay, that take place every seven days, something like that. And in case you missed it and you weren't here, the message title was, There's Got to Be a Better Way. And I'll summarize this, the message of last week in a very, very simple sentence. And that is this. Sorry, this thing may not. There we go. Is that the greatest threat to your growth is not an evil world, but a distracted soul. The greatest threat to your growth. Last week I said the greatest threat to your spiritual life, but I want to even expand it because it's not even just your spiritual life. The greatest threat to your growth, the greatest threat to quality, the greatest threat to what is good in life is not an evil world. Because the world has always been evil. And Christians were always able to find depth and quality and love and all those good things. The danger today is not the evil world. The danger today is the hurried pace and the distractedness of our souls. Think of anything good in life and usually... That good thing, not I want to say usually, but always, good things in life require not hurry. Hurry and good don't go together. We want love. Love and hurry cannot coexist. Joy and hurry cannot coexist. Peace, rest, generosity, kindness, creativity. These things don't happen in the middle of the hurry, 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 fast pace, fast pace. They happen when we're able to slow down. Quality time with a loved one. A moment, a moment with your son or with your daughter. A breakthrough creative idea at work. Like these things don't happen in the middle of the, of the busyness. They happen when we are able to slow down our pace. That's why last week I showed you this quote from Carl Jung, or Carl Jung who says it this way. He says, a hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. Hurry is not of the devil. It is the devil. And our goal in this series, as we started off last week, is we are pushing back against that. We're pushing back against a society that tells us fast is good, slow is bad. That tells us that we'll never be, we won't be happy unless we do more, unless we do more. And that we're this happy now, but if we added more activities, we'd be more happy. And our kids are good, but if we gave them more commitments, then they'd be better at what it is. We're pushing back against that more is better, faster is better. And what we are doing is we are examining the life of someone who is able to get this thing right. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we saw last week, is that Jesus was the busiest person on the planet. Okay, this idea that like, okay, Jesus, okay, he didn't have as much to do as I do. He didn't have kids in diapers. He didn't have uh, the, the volleyball and the taekwondo and, the, and the, he didn't have my boss breathing down his neck. He didn't know what it's like to be a student right now. This idea, Jesus had more on his to-do plate than anyone else. Whatever your to-do list says for this week, unless it says save the world, okay, then Jesus had more on his plate than you do. 
But Jesus was never hurried. Jesus was never in a rush. Jesus, as opposed to us, would walk down the street casually and somebody would stop him and he never said, I can't stop right now, I'm late. I got a sermon I got to prepare. Or I got this healing I'm scheduled for by at noon so I don't got time. Talk to one of my assistants. He never said that. Jesus walked, someone interrupted him, and he stopped and talked. And he always made time. And he was never frazzled. He was never busy. He was never rushed. And what we're doing is studying his life to see how we can do the same thing. Because we talked about this last week, that if we want the peace of Jesus, the peace of Jesus comes from the lifestyle that Jesus led. So if we want the result of who Jesus was, always at peace, always love, always joy, always kindness, like that, the result that we want is not a magic. It's not a mystery. He was able to live this way because he practiced certain things. And we, oftentimes, we want a shortcut. We want the result without the practice. We want to look like the bodybuilder without going to the gym. We want the results of, of what it's supposed to look like, but we don't want to put in the hard work. We want the life without the lifestyle, and it simply doesn't work. So what we're doing is we are looking at the life of Christ, and each week for the next four weeks, today and then the next three after that, we are going to take one practice from the life of Jesus, one practice, one habit, discipline, call it whatever it is you want, something that he did on a regular basis which led him to these results. And if we want these results, we're never going to get it unless we do these practices. Jesus said it this way in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. But how? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what we're doing here in this series. Is we're, we talked about this last week. The yoke of Jesus means the lifestyle of Jesus. And we are learning from him. Jesus, how did you approach your day? How did you approach your, your, approach your to-do list? How did you approach the, the things that come up in life, the distractions? And we're going to do the same thing, and we will then hopefully find the same results. Sound good? We're aiming for rest. Anybody don't need rest here today? Anybody over there in Arlington that doesn't need rest? Anyone that says, no, my life is too much rest? Anyone that says, my life is too slow pace? No. Therefore, let's jump into this thing. Okay. Speaking of rest... I want to start today by talking about something that used to exist when I was a child. And if you're my age, you probably remember it as well. If you're younger than me, you may not remember this. It doesn't exist in the world today. It kind of sort of does exist, but you got to work really, really, really hard to find this. Whereas when we were kids, it was everywhere. And that thing is this. Boredom. Does anyone remember boredom? You're showing your age right now if you remember boredom. Boredom was this thing that existed when we were young, which meant we had nothing to do. It meant that we would just sit around. We didn't have any messages to check. No one was reaching out to us, and we couldn't check any messages. We didn't have any uh, tweets to follow or, and see who's, who's, who's saying what about whatever political thing we're to be outraged about right now. We didn't have any candies to crush or subways to surf. We didn't have anything like that. We just would stare and we would just sit and we would just be alone with our thoughts if you were born i think the cutoff is somewhere around like 1995 1996 if you're born after that you don't know what it's like remember this standing in an elevator 
and having nothing to do but stare at the door. You don't know what it's like to sit on an airplane and just look out the window. And that's the most entertaining thing that's going to take place right there. You don't know what it's like. This is a hard one for young people today. You don't know what it's like to be at a traffic light. And do you know what you used to watch at a traffic light? Traffic and the light. And we used to just go when it turned green. We didn't wait for the honk, okay, because we would just go. We would only be staring at the light, and then when it turned green, we went. Today, that doesn't happen. Because today, the second, the second, that boredom, a little inch of boredom, what do we do? We pull out the device that can distract us into oblivion in a second. And we can know who's commenting about what, who's saying what, who's doing what, who's eating what for breakfast across the world. Today, the closest you'll get to boredom, if you're a young person, okay, ask, go ask a, young, ask a teenager. What is it like? Like, I'm describing this life of boredom and this life, and the, you know what a, a teenager would say today? Like, oh yeah, that's like that time we went to grandma's, right? And she couldn't remember her Wi-Fi password. Okay, that, is that what that's like? And I'd be like, yeah, that was, like, that was life in the 19, 1900s, okay? It was like, everywhere you go, you forgot your charger. Remember when the day you forgot your charger and how horrible it was? Okay, that's what life was like in the 1900s, the way we were growing up. I'm not saying that technology is evil, and I'm not saying that, you know, the internet is the devil or anything like that. Obviously, technology allows us to do lots of cool stuff. Allows people to be watching this on the other side of the camera as I'm speaking right now. But what I'm saying is technology comes with a price, and we just need to be aware of the price that we are paying. That before technology existed, we were able to be bored. We were able to be sit still. We were able to, here's a word that you hear a lot today. And it didn't exist when we were kids. You ever heard this? It's talked about a lot. To be present. You hear about this now all the time. I want to really be present. What's your goal in 2023? To be present. To be in the moment. To be mindful. To be present. That term didn't exist when we were growing up. You know why? Because you were present. <laughs> Where else would you go? You didn't have anywhere. You couldn't travel across the world by picking up your phone. You couldn't contact. You were present. But now you have the option to be there in person but absent mentally and spiritually and emotionally. So this idea of be present, be present, be present. Microsoft did a survey. Let me give you some statistics. 77% of young adults, 77% of young adults said that when nothing is occupying their attention, they automatically reach for their phone. 77% of young adults, and some of you are like, yeah, why wouldn't you? That the second that they're not focused on anything else. The first thing they do is reach for their phone. It gets worse. 71% said that the first thing they do in the morning is check their phone. The first thing they do upon waking up. And some of us are like, wait, we're not supposed to do that? Yeah. Before, having, before saying the prayer, before having the morning cup of coffee, before brushing their teeth, like we are at the point now in life where we won't even allow ourselves to be bored when we wake up. Like we need to be entertained the first second of our day. The first thing, we can't allow ourselves to be bored even for one minute. And what I'm saying, again, I'm not saying that it's the end of the world. But what I'm saying is there's a price associated with this. The only place today, is what the article was saying, the only place today that you can actually be bored, that you can't be multitasking on different things, you know what they said? In the shower. But come on, let's be honest. We know that within, within a few years, there's going to be a way. Like, would you, anyone be surprised if within a couple of years you're in the, in the shower and you've got screens all around you and you're chatting? Like, that's what's going to happen. And then we know the end is truly near. 
Bottom line, not against technology, but it is a price. It comes at a price. It stops us from being able to be present to God, to others, and also to our own souls. I like this quote from an author named Andrew Sullivan. He says this. He says, there are books to read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction, that's the epidemic that we care about. The epidemic of distraction is our civilization-specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds as it is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget that we have any. The noise of this modern world is making us deaf to God. It's making us unable to connect with one another at a deep level and to even know who we are at times. And that's why for us, we need to say enough. We need to say enough. We look at this world of distraction. Okay, the quote I had last week is, we're distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We look at this world of distraction, this spiritual oblivion, and there's a group of people, may, maybe many of us, okay, probably one or two camps. Many of us say, you know what? What's the big deal? We don't see that there's anything wrong with it. And I'm telling you, no, there's a big deal. There's a cost I'm going to talk about in a second. And then there's another group that says, this is the worst thing ever, but what can we do about it? Nothing can be done. And if that's you, then you're in good, in good, in good shape here today. Because that's exactly what I want to talk about. And I think there's a practice from the life of Jesus that specifically addresses this issue. And I'm not going to say it's easy, but I will say that if we do it and we invest in it, we make it a regular practice for us, then we can find what Jesus discovered. And that is simply this. Silence and solitude. The only remedy, the only remedy, the only cure for this epidemic of distraction and busyness, the only cure, the only medicine is regular time of silence and solitude. Now I realize, as I say that, those two words, silence and solitude, for some of us, we have like an allergic reaction to those words. The world has taught us today that those are two evil things. We don't want silence, we don't want solitude. We want constant distraction, constant busyness. And the second that we see silence approaching, we create noise. Even if it's just any kind of noise, Okay, and there are certain apps that just create noise. Maybe you've seen these before, okay, that just can create background noise because we hate silence and we avoid it like the plague. Some of us may be sitting there and say, okay, I know where you're going, Father Anthony. You're going to tell us to do quiet time. You're going to tell us to read the Bible. You're going to tell us to sit by ourselves, not check our phones. And that's like a nice thing. Like we heard about, we read about that in the history books. Okay, that was like a thing from like the early 2000s. But Father Anthony, that doesn't exist in the world today. Like, I mean, I, I, I bet you I could do a show of hands, but I'm not going to make you, is how many of us used to be able to do quiet time, used to be able to sit. Okay, I remember when we were younger, we would sit for like an hour, hour and a half sometimes and just read the Bible and pray. And we used to be able to do that, but anymore, we say, you know what, that thing went, like that went away with like, when, that was like an AOL thing. When AOL went away, that went MySpace. Okay, that was like, when MySpace was cool, that's when quiet time existed. But that's like the early 2000s, that's like the late 90s. That doesn't exist in the... That, that can't work today, right? Well, here's the point. Follow me here on this one. All of us would say that our ability to focus and pay attention today is significantly worse than it was 20 years ago. Okay? All of us would say that we're more distracted today. But do you think that humanity has genetically changed that much in 20 years? Do you think it's possible that our genes... That we are now, our DNA is different in such a way that we can no longer 
focus like that much has taken place in just 20 years? And you would say, of course not. It's not that humanity has changed. What's changed is our environment and our practices. We've trained ourselves to not be able to pay attention. We've trained ourselves to have the attention span of a grasshopper. That's what they say now, is we now, human beings, have the same attention span as a grasshopper. We've trained, it, 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 it wasn't something like, 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 a, like a, um, evolutionary. It wasn't something like we evolved and now all of a sudden it's impossible. No, we taught ourselves. The world didn't change. I'm sorry, humanity didn't change. The world around us changed and our practices changed. But that's good news. You know why? Because the same way that we trained ourselves, we can untrain ourselves. We can train ourselves the other way. We trained ourselves to always need distraction. But what I'm talking about here today is to train ourselves, to practice, to do the hard work, to push ourselves for silence and solitude. Henry Nouwen, a famous Catholic author, says it this way. He says simply, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. No exceptions. No like, I understand it's hard. Without solitude, impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and listen to Him. Look, and make it very simple for you. Life, spiritual life, is a relationship with God. That's what we always talk about. That's what makes Christianity different than every other religion out there. Is we don't talk about rules, we talk about relationship. It's not about follow one, two, three, four, it's about have a living relationship with God who loves you, the eternal God loves each one of us and wants to have a relationship. That's what Christianity is. How can you have a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with? If I say me and my wife, we have a marriage, but we never spend time together. Okay, you may be married on paper. You may like be married in the court. You may have a little thing that says you may wear a ring, but you ain't really married if you don't spend time together because real marriage requires alone time, talking, laughing, sharing, other stuff. Okay, it requires alone time. And that stuff, if you don't have those things, then like I said, you married on paper, but you're not really married. I would say the same thing about Christianity. If you don't have alone time with God, you don't really have a relationship with Him. You're doing all the motions. You go to His house. You, instead of wearing a ring, maybe you wear a sign like this. But that's not what Christianity is. Spiritual life is about a relationship. And how you can have a relationship without alone time. St. John Climacus said it this way, a Syrian saint from, I think, the 6th or 7th century. He said, the friend of silence draws near to God. The friend of silence draws near to God. See, here's the thing. When I say solitude, solitude is not the same as isolation. Solitude is not about being alone. Solitude is about being alone with God. Alone isolation, that's going to take you in another direction. That's not what I'm talking about here today is that we need to just lock ourselves and I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying we need to lock away all the other stuff, push away the other stuff so I can just have focus one-on-one -on -one time with my creator. And what you'll discover is that when you are alone, you are not alone. You are alone with God and that's the place of deepest connection. And what you'll discover as well, I hope you don't, but I'm afraid that unfortunately, I have to say the truth, is that if we if we neglect this practice, the cost of it might be higher than we're willing to realize. Back to Andrew Sullivan says it this way. It's a little bit of a long quote, but follow me right here. It's a good one. He says, modernity, being like modern life, has slowly weakened spirituality in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise 
and constant action. Everyone agrees with this sentence. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure. Again, the reason people are losing faith is not because science has disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure. If churches, today, if churches came to realize that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a fragile, frazzled, frazzled digital generation. So, that's the problem in front of us. Let's now look at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at two passages from the life of Jesus. And we are going to see how Jesus, who again, biggest to-do list on the planet, Many things to do. Heal people, cast out demons, preach the gospel. Like He had to turn the world. He started a revolution greater than anyone else on the planet. He had the greatest to-do list on the planet. But somehow, he was never hurried. He never rushed. How can it be that Jesus, so busy, never hurried? How did he do it? That's what we're going to see right now. And we're going to see, like I said, it is not a mystery. How is Jesus able to find peace in the midst of chaos? The first thing we're going to do is see how he practiced silence and solitude. We're going to go to a passage from Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, just to give you the context, okay, is the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, so that tells you it's at the beginning. It's at the very early part of Jesus' ministry. Mark didn't, didn't talk about the birth of Jesus or any of those things. Mark started right with his public ministry. So actually what we're going to look at is Jesus' first day on the job, so to speak. And arguably, as we look at it, I would say that his first day on the job might have been his busiest one. It was one of those days, those marathon days, one of those doozy days where we've probably all been there at some point in our life. Just to kind of fast forward to give you the context before we get to the passage we're going to read. This day started with Jesus up early in the morning, preaching and teaching in the synagogue. And everywhere he was preaching and teaching and people were flocking to hear his word. While he was there teaching, at one point, someone stood up and it was a demon-possessed person. So in the middle of his sermon, someone said, I'm demon-possessed, and it was a big, ah, and Jesus went, and he cast out that demon. After that, you would think like, okay, let's go celebrate the teaching and the casting out of demons. I, I come here and I teach one message on a Sunday, I need to recover for two or three hours afterwards, I'm that tired, I need to eat, but not Jesus. Jesus afterwards, Peter said, you know what, my mother-in-law, and she's kind of sick, so Jesus said, okay, you know what, let's skip lunch, let's go heal Peter's mother-in-law. He goes there, heals Peter's mother-in-law. After he did that, word spread even more. People flocked, all the sick, all the demon-possessed, all the blind, whatever it may be, and people kept coming to Jesus. Now we'll pick up the story in Mark chapter 1, verse 32. It says, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Verse 34. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So right off the bat, the context of the day is this was a busy day. Teaching, healing, casting out demons, and then finally when he had done and he's ready to, to, to punch out for the day, the whole city is gathered at his door and what do they need? More teaching, more healing, more casting out demons. And Jesus did everything that they needed. Now let's say this is me and you. You just had a hard day at work. 
one of these doozies of a days, a marathon day, a day where like everything was just so busy and so hectic, and now you're done the day. What would you do the next day? How would you approach it? Everyone say, let's sleep in. For sure, let's sleep in, right? Maybe go for a light run in the morning, okay? Maybe brunch with the disciples, check out that new egg place, whatever it may be. Like, you would... You'd scale back that next day, right? I mean, that's just like everyone would agree that, right? What do you think Jesus did? Next verse. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Right off the bat. Jesus' lifestyle and our lifestyle, we'd have taken a break. We'd have said, I need to sleep in. Jesus said, like, watch this. We would have both said the same thing. We would have said, and Jesus would have said, I'm tired. We'd have said, and Jesus would have said, I need a break. We'd have said, and Jesus would have said, yesterday was too much. But now here's where we diverge. We say, I need to veg on the couch. I need more sleep. Jesus said, I'm so tired. It was such a busy day. I need to connect with my heavenly father. I need to get away from the people. I need to get away from all the stuff. And by the way, just again to give you the context, this is Jesus' first day of public ministry. Busy day, he needed a break. Time with the father, solitary and silence. Do you know what happened before Jesus' first day of ministry? Where is he just coming from? He didn't just come from vacation. Where's he been for the past 40 days? He spent 40 days in the wilderness prior to this. 40 days in the wilderness, alone, solitary, with his father. And then he came out and did this busy day, and he went right back into the solitary. So it's not like it's, not like it's been a long time coming. It's not like, you know, he's been around people so long. What Jesus said right here is that, you know what? I love to be with people, and I love to serve, and I love, and the people need me. But I need my time with my heavenly father. And that's the source. That's the secret. That's the secret sauce. So the difference between us and Jesus, we see time with God. We see solitary, solitude, and silence. We see that as like, okay, on special occasions, like for Holy Week, we should get some time in silence. Or like at this retreat, we should make sure we get a little bit of solitude. We see it as one-offs here and there. Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's not a Holy Week thing. It's not a retreat thing. It's like, a day-to-day -day thing. It's part of Jesus' regular rhythm, that time alone with his Father. And the result of it is clear. Verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, I'll bet everyone is looking for you. You know why they're looking for him? Because he just healed all those people. So if you heal one person on a Monday, you're going to have 10 people on Tuesday. And if you heal 10 on Tuesday, you're going to have 100 on Wednesday. And he's casting out demons. Yeah, I bet everyone was looking for him. And I bet you the disciples, especially Simon right here, Simon Peter, what's kind of implied is Simon's kind of like, okay, Jesus, now's not the time for breaks. Like, we got a busy day schedule. Like, yesterday was amazing. It was amazing. The publicity was great. The Pharisees got all their pennies in a bunch, and they're all fired up about it. And today, we got some more healings lined up. Okay, the blind was good, but the cripple are starting to complain. So we're going to do more cripples today, okay? And then the Pharisees are having a party. We're going to crash that. There's going to be lots of PR right there. So like, okay, Jesus, all right, we'll, we'll let you go in the morning the first time, but don't do that again. And Jesus' response to him, 
Jesus doesn't even address what St. Peter said. He says, look, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also for this purpose. I've come forth. Jesus, you got people lined up at your door. You got people saying, teach us more. Heal us. Save us. And Jesus so that's nice, but we're going over there. Here's what I want you to look at. What I want you to see. Do you notice the incredible clarity that Jesus has? The incredible clarity. He didn't hesitate. He didn't waver. Me and you would be like, yeah, wait, am I supposed to go? Or should I go there? And what do you think, Simon? And, and James, give me your opinion. Should we stay? Should we go? Let's think about it, pros and cons. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He came out and said, look, this is what we're doing. And I want to say it this way. Came up with this myself. I made it rhyme. Okay, so hopefully you can help remember it. It sounds kind of funny, but it's just for the rhyme. Clarity comes in the quiet. Confusion abounds in the riot. I'm a poet, and you didn't even know it. Say that, say that after me. Say, clarity comes in the quiet. Confusion abounds in the riot. Arlington, I want to hear you say it. Again, everyone, clarity comes in the quiet. Confusion abounds in the riot. What is it that we all want in life? What is it that we're all looking for? What is it all like, Father Anthony, can you give me some of this? Father Anthony, show me this. We all want to not be confused. We all want to have clarity. What do I do? Where do I go? When do I do? We all want clarity. I would bet you, if I were to go around the room right now, I could go to every single person and every single person in this room, myself included, has at least one thing that we're praying for clarity on. Would you agree with that? Anybody have like, it's like crystal clear life in front of them. We all want clarity. We all want to get rid of the confusion. We don't want to hesitate. We want to know what God wants from us. Well, I'm telling you, Jesus had perfect clarity because he committed himself to silence and solitude. And the reason why we struggle, the reason why we're so confused, because we neglect that practice. And you'll never find clarity in the noise. You'll never find clarity in the busyness, in the hurried. Clarity comes in the quiet. Confusion is what abounds in the riot. And maybe, just maybe, like I don't know, I don't know, but maybe the thing that you're struggling with, looking for clarity, maybe you're closer than you realize. Maybe it's not as far away as you think. Maybe it's just on the other side of a commitment, not a one time, not one time. A commitment to silence and solitude. Maybe, just maybe, you'll find it there. That was Mark chapter 1. That was Jesus' first day on the job. We're going to go to passage now from Mark chapter 6, which is the disciples, okay, were sent out on this mission trip, two by two, preach the gospel everywhere, and the disciples now returning from their long mission trip, okay, and they are dead tired at the end of this trip. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. There were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. I want to pause it right here. Have you ever had one of these days? You ever had one of the days where you get to the end of the day and then your wife's like, what'd you eat for lunch? And you're like, oh yeah, I don't think I ate lunch today. I totally forgot to eat. Or I had lunch, but I, I, I couldn't get to it because I was just so busy. That was the disciples. Okay, so again, not this idea that life was slow back then, they had nothing to do, and our life would just... No, they had a day where they didn't even have time to eat. And that's why Jesus says to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. So we've been busy, we've been busy, we didn't have time to eat. Jesus says, okay, what you need, a deserted place so that we can rest together. 
Not again. Not you've had such a busy day. What you need is a night of Netflix. Not you've had such a busy day. What you need is a drink. Not what you, you, you need to just turn off the world. No, 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 no. What you need is come aside with me to a deserted place with me. Verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Before I show you what happens next, you think to yourself, okay, they had a problem. They went away with Jesus. Problem should be solved. Nice time with Jesus by the beach. Sure, they're going to hear a word from him. Maybe again, like a nice meal, the fish, okay, like do the catching a lot of fish and cook it right. It's going to be nice. This, this is what our hearts want. This is what we want. Everyone says, this is what we want. This is what we're looking for. Yes, nice time with Jesus. And they had the best of intentions. But what happens? Verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things, and now the day was far spent. You know what I love about this story? This is the perfect story to describe how we approach quiet time. This is us. This is us. And I mean it in a positive, I'm not saying it in a negative way. This is us, which is Jesus, we want to spend time with you. I'm going to get up tomorrow. I'm going to spend good time in my Bible. I'm going to focus on this and I'm just going to be just with Jesus. And then what happens? Life. People show up. That friend texts you and it's urgent. I need to talk. And you're like, does it need to be now? Or a kid decides to spit up something. Or worse, a kid decides to swallow something. Like at the worst possible time. Like you're ready to have that alone time with God and then life happens. Or your boss says there's a deadline. Or there's a disaster with your parents. Or whatever it may be. I love the realism of this story because the truth of the matter is that most of us have very good intentions. I'm giving, us, we ha- I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. We have the right intentions. We want to wake up early. We want to spend time with God. We want to make time for it. But life happens. Something happened at night. We couldn't wake up early. Something happened as soon as we woke up. There was a disaster. It happens. And in this situation, you see that with Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, busy, 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 all day preaching, all day healing, all day whatever. Now let's get away. And then people showed up. And because he's Jesus, he can't turn them away. The question is now, if you're the disciples, if you're Jesus, you had the best of intentions, didn't work out the way you wanted it. What would you do next? What would be your response? I tried. Not my fault. We would all look at it and say like, okay, we got an A for effort. Like, I tried to spend time with God. Wasn't from God. God understands. It's not my fault. I had the best of intentions. But the problem is, with that mindset, which all of us have, so don't feel guilty, we're missing the point. I'm going to tell you, put a sentence up here on the screen, and it's going to sound simple, but I'm telling you, this idea, when it came to my mind, this is probably 10, I'll tell you the story a minute ago, in a minute from now, it came to me probably 10, 15 years ago, something like that, I'm telling you, it was one of those simple statements that God put in my head, and it changed my mindset entirely about my spiritual life. You ready? Spending time with God isn't for his sake. It's for mine. It sounds so simple. Of course it's for my sake. 
But honestly, can we be honest? Honest? Most of us think we're doing him a favor. We think like, okay, God, you'd be lucky if I give you five minutes tomorrow morning. And then an interruption came up, okay, you lost your chance. We think that we're doing him a favor. And we look at it like, I don't really need this. But okay, God, you want me to do it? Okay, I'll do it. Okay, the opportunity went away. You're lost, God. See you next day. I remember once, like I said, when, when I was going through a particularly busy time. I was probably a priest for like five, six years, something like that. It was particularly busy. And, and, and especially me by my nature, okay, a weakness of mine is I, I, I'm very task-oriented and I am very like hurry, hurry, hurry by my nature. So this, all the stuff I'm preaching in this series, as I said last week, this is like I'm the number one customer. Like I need to be sitting in that chair more up here. But, and I was in a particularly busy time and I felt like, okay, the, I've repented since. Okay, so watch one by I felt like God wasn't helping me out. Like, God, I'm doing this all for you. Like, I ain't doing this to live in a big mansion, drive a fancy car. Like, I'm not doing this for, for like, uh, I'm doing this for you. And you don't seem to be helping me out. Because every time I do something, like, I try to solve this, two things open up. Okay? And it was one of those days, it was a Sunday, coming after a long weekend of, like, Friday night here. It's probably, like, a retreat, whatever. Stay up till whatever. Come to church. Do this meeting. Take a million confessions. Get up early in the morning. Five o'clock in the morning, go to church. We had two liturgies back then. Pray multiple liturgies. Preach multiple times. Sit with people. Go visit this. And stop by this hospital. Whatever. It was one of those weekends. And I'm just feeling like a pity party for myself. Like, woe is me. Woe is me. Okay, God, you're welcome. And I'm driving home. And as I'm pulling in, into my neighborhood, I get a call. And it, the call basically said I needed to basically turn around and go somewhere else. And I was like, okay, God. <laughs> and I felt God telling me. This is what God said to me. It's not saying God said to you. But it said to me because I'm, this is when you're a little thick-headed, God is a little, God said to me, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you. Don't do me any favors. He said, I love you. I want to spend time with you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I want to spend time with you all the time. But if you're doing it for my sake, I'm good. I felt God telling me, don't do me any favors. I'm not a pity party. Don't do me any. If you don't want to spend time with me, don't spend time with me. And he said this, like, this is what I felt. I'm going to bless you. That's what him saying to me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your ministry. I'm going to bless your family. You got everything. So if you're just saying like, okay, I need to spend time with God so he blessed me. No, I'm going to bless you. Here's everything that you want. You got the best wife, the best kids, the best parent. You got the best of everything. I'll give it to you and I'm never going to take it away. Don't do any, any favors. I'm sitting here. If you want to spend time with me, here I am. But don't do it for my sake. That changed my mindset. Because then I said, you know what? Okay, fine. I'm not going to spend time with God tomorrow morning. I had a long day. But I said, you know what? I want to spend time with God. Like, he doesn't need me, but I need him. I want to go to church on Sunday. Like, I don't go to church on Sunday. I mean, it is my job, so I mean, I probably... I would not be a very good priest, okay? I probably would lose my job if I didn't show up on Sunday. But that's not why I do it. I'm saying, like, I'm one of those people, I go on vacation, I go to church on vacation. Because I want to go to church. I like church. It's for me. It's not for you. It's for me. 
I want to read my Bible. I want to spend time with God. Now, of course, I'm weak and you're weak and we're all weak. But in the end, get rid of this idea that we're doing him a favor. Jesus, when he spent time with his father, wasn't saying, like, I got to check the box so my father doesn't get upset at me and strike me with lightning or he sends the Holy Spirit to do my job. Like, that's not what he's saying. Saying, I want to have communion with my heavenly father and I can't do it in the noise. So I'm going to get away from the noise. But you're tired, but I need that. But you're busy, but I need that. But this is a, 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 you, a, you don't have the energy, but I need it. <clears throat> when this hit me, flip the script on how I view the spiritual life. Ask yourself the question, who benefits more from the time together? The doctor or the patient? Is the patient doing the doctor a favor? Okay, doc, I'll come in. You can see my tonsils. You're welcome. I got some buttes here. Okay, come look at these. You're welcome. But the doctor or the patient? The chef or the customer who's sitting there eating the food? You're welcome, Mr. Chef. I ate your food. You're welcome. Who's doing who a favor? The teacher or the student? Let's fast forward the story. Mark chapter 6 is the story. Okay, you, you, I'm sure you know it well. The five, feeding of the 5,000. So after this takes place, all the people had gathered. 5,000 men showed up, plus women and children. And this little boy brings his lunch, and that little lunchbox becomes the greatest lunchbox ever to, known to all mankind. And there's a great miracle and a great celebration. And then at the end of that story, so after this long day, and then the people, and then the feeding, and at the end of that day, verse 45, Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. He made them go away. And, he, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Again, I used to look at this and be like, Jesus is so spiritual, all night in prayer. Wrong. Jesus is not spiritual, all night in prayer. Jesus is us and saying, I need time with my Father. I need it. I need it the same way I need air. I need it the same way I need food. I need time with my Father. And that's why when we look at his life, when we look at his life, we see how he lived. You can't disconnect the result from the process. Jesus knew that after this busy, hectic, that's what he needed more than anything else. He needed time for his soul to catch up to his body. There's a nice story about that expression. Okay, it's a true story about one time that a group of missionaries um, from, from Europe went down into Africa to preach the gospel. And when they went down there, they hired local guides to guide them through, okay, like the villages and the jungles and the whatever it may be. So they hired these local guides and they said, we pay you X amount, whatever it is, to guide us through it. And these European missionaries were all go, 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 go. And they kept pushing the people, no, let's go further. Let's travel for another hour. No, we can make it a little bit further. And the, and the guides were always resisting, resisting, but they were like pushing, pushing, pushing. Until one day, they pushed, 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 and the guide said, we're not moving today. So what do you mean we're not moving? We're paying you, we're not moving. And the guide said very simply, we are, we are not moving today because we need a day for our souls to catch up to our bodies. Our bodies have been running. Our soul is still, like our bodies are on Friday, our souls are still back at Tuesday. And he said, we needed time. And that's exactly what Jesus did right here. Running, 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 running. That's life in this world. I'm not saying it's going to go away. But every now and then, it's got to be a regular part of our life. Time for our souls to catch up. For those who are watching the series, The Chosen, 
okay, which I highly recommend, okay, talking about life of Jesus with his disciples. It's very evident in there, okay, if you're watching it, that it'd be like, Jesus is doing all these things, and all of a sudden, Jesus is gone for like an entire episode, and he shows up at the very end, where's Jesus? He just left, see, when we think of Jesus with three years with his disciples, he wasn't with them 24-7. He often, just like it says right here, sent them over there, I'll catch up to you. Where was he? He's connecting with his heavenly father, silence and solitude. And that's why the very end of Jesus' life, okay, the Garden of Gethsemane, says this. It says, Now he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. He went, what I wanted to show you here, to the place, the silent, the solitary place, as he was accustomed. Meaning, again, it wasn't a one-time, wasn't a two-time, wasn't on special occasions. As he was accustomed. That's where Jesus went on a regular basis. Now here's the part for us. What part I highlighted at the very end. His disciples did what? Followed. His disciples did what? They followed. They followed Jesus to the solitary place. Jesus was always in the solitary place, and his disciples were always there behind him. Say it this way. The busier Jesus got, the more he spent time alone with God. The busier Jesus got, the more he spent time alone with God. And we are his followers. Followers literally mean someone who follows in his steps. So when he went to the market, a follower would go to the market. If he went to the gym, the follower would go to the gym. If he went to the Netflix, the follower would go to the Netflix. Well, where did Jesus go more than anywhere else, especially when he was busy? He went to the solitary place. He went to be alone. And if we're his followers, we should at least know the address of the solitary place. It should at least be in our favorites on our Google Maps. We usually do the opposite. The busier we get, the first thing to go is quiet time. No wonder. No wonder we're confused. No wonder our souls are weak. No wonder our faith, okay? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying this in a, I'm saying this in like, I want my faith and you want your faith to be strong. No wonder our faith, is, it, it's got the, the, the strength of a leaf, okay? It's like, okay, there's our faith and it's okay. But if anything happens, anything happens at work, anything happens to someone's health, the first thing that happens, whoosh, and there goes the faith. And it, it's, like, it's like a house of cards. No, we need faith that's strong. We need clarity. We need spiritual nourishment. Well, that ain't going to happen in the busy. It's only going to happen in the silence and in the solitude. Now, you may be saying to yourself, okay, Father Anthony, I'm convinced. I want to do it. I don't know where to start. I would say to you that the reason that most people struggle and fail with the practice of quiet time or silence or solitude, call it whatever it is you want. The reason why most people fail is not because they don't have the right intention, because I believe you don't have a good system. I'm a big believer in systems, and I believe that, that we don't rise to the level of our intentions. We fall to the level, level of our systems. You may have heard that before. So if you don't got a good system, you're going to struggle. And that's why for you, I'm not going to go over this today, but up here on this screen is a QR code that you can take a picture of this right now, okay? And it's also in your handout if you want. It's also on the app. It's a, it's a quiet time guide that we put together. It's a one page, a one pager in how to get started with quiet time. The regular practice of silence and solitude. It's one page. It's got books you can read. It's got a little formula that you can follow. It's even got a link to a sermon that I gave a year ago, whenever that was, that'll help you get started on sitting with Jesus. Bottom line is, sitting with Jesus, silence and solitude, doesn't need to be complicated. Doesn't need to be anything fancy. It doesn't need to be like, you know, the Instagram of like, you know, like the picture and the Bible and the cup of coffee and like, no, my quiet time's not good because I don't have a window. Or you know what, like, I haven't had the perfect filter to get that, like, forget about that. That's nonsense. We don't need the perfectly curated quiet time. What we need is something simple and consistent. Like I said, up there on the screen, 
will help you find a system that you can get started with. Because the bottom line, the bottom line, and I'm done, the bottom line, the greatest threat to your growth is not an evil world. It's a distracted soul. And I'm telling you, you may not realize the price that it is taking, the toll it is taking on us, but I promise you, the more time that we are away from God and in the world and busy and hurried, it is taking a toll on our soul that we don't realize. But the good news is the inverse is also true. The more time we commit to the silence and solitude, the more we are investing in our alone time with our Heavenly Father, the, the more that will take a toll on us and push us in a positive direction. As it says here in Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. The hurried life is impacting us in ways that we can't see, but the opposite is true as well. When we commit to silence and solitude, it will impact us, I promise you, in ways that you may never see, but I promise you is, is real. That's why my challenge for you this week, our challenge this week, start a regular quiet time routine, even if it's just five minutes a day. You don't know where to start. I gave you the QR code. Don't know where to start. Don't know where to begin. Do it simple, but be consistent. Even if it's something very small, we'll be consistent, we'll invest in it, and I promise you that it will pay off down the road.